0: Have a copy of God's Word, just want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. We're going to be finishing the first chapter here this morning, and so if you can go ahead and have your Bible open to John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, we're going to be working our way through this narrative, through this text, as the sermon progresses. You know, a well timed, well worded question has force and power behind it. Because it challenges us to look within ourselves and to see what's really there. And even if we brush the question off, oftentimes it's already done the work just by being asked because it reveals answers to ourselves. Maybe that we don't want to admit, perhaps for the first time. And I'm sure that you can point to moments in your life when a question was a hinge to swing open your life in a particular direction. Like, Why do you exist? Have you ever noticed this about yourself? How have you gotten to this place? Is there anything bothering you? Have you ever considered trying this with your life? Questions are powerful. In verse 39, Jesus asks two men a life-altering question. And at first glance, it just seems to be a normal part of the conversation But as we soon are going to find out in this text, it's much more than just a conversation starter. It's actually an arrow that is pointed at the intentions and the desires of our hearts. Jesus asks the question, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? You've come to church today for some reason. What are you seeking? Your life is aimed in a particular direction. What are you seeking? Your mind and your heart is often flooded with certain desires and aspirations, things you want. What are you seeking? You keep running to the same destructive, unfulfilling sin. What are you seeking? Or you spend your time and your talents and your treasures for something. What are you seeking? What is your heart seeking this morning? Well, today we stumbled upon four different encounters that people had with Jesus. And in these encounters, their lives were radically changed. They used to be one thing. They used to seek one thing. But after an encounter with the Lord of the universe, they sought something entirely different. They sought to follow him and to make followers of him. In fact, they became something different. They became disciples, which means followers. They became disciples and they became disciple makers. So what are you seeking this morning? Are you seeking to follow Jesus and to make other followers of Jesus? Are you seeking to savor Jesus and say, come and see Let's take a look at these four different encounters together and the first one we see John the Baptist witness to his followers John the Baptist witness to his followers so look at verses 35 through 37 it says the next day again John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. These are the very first disciples of Jesus Christ. Two of them. One of them, we find out, is named Andrew, and the other one isn't named. Perhaps it's John, the writer of this gospel. But what's important is not their names. It's that they became disciples. They became followers of Jesus in this moment. And these new disciples of Jesus used to be, as verse 35 says, disciples of John. I hope we see the significance of that. That John was effective in leading the way for Jesus to come. I mean, just think about it. He has these followers that are with him, listening to his teaching. And so he's been prepping them talking to them about the Messiah, so much so that when Jesus steps on the scene, he can point directly to him and say, behold the Lamb of God, and these two men begin to follow Christ. It's just a sweet reminder that when John's disciples became Jesus' disciples, they weren't abandoning John. They were stepping into everything John's life was about. What is our life about? I know we'd like to think it's about Jesus, but are the people around us being drawn to Jesus or not? We've talked about the humility of John in these past sermons through his words. He used his words to point people away from him to Jesus Christ. But here we see the real test of humility. We see humility in his action. I mean, what would happen when two of the men who followed him decided to leave him for Jesus? Which is what just took place. They left John to go and stay with Christ. Let's look at verses 38 through 39. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. What would John do when two of his disciples left him for the Lord? Well, we know that for John, it brought him joy because in chapter 3, he was happy giving this example of when all the people are with the bridegroom. And he says, Therefore, the joy of mine is complete. He must increase, I must decrease. So, King Street Church, my prayer is that we would build people into Christ, not into us. We are nobody's Savior. We're not even our own children's Savior. And so we should work to constantly drive people to Jesus. Because there will be a day when following Jesus for them means that they move on to make disciples of others instead of being under your wing all the time. Are we prepping people for that? Following Jesus may include our church someday, I'm praying, to send a family to the mission field instead of staying here. Following Jesus may include your own son or daughter one day going to the ends of the earth in hard-to-reach places to share the gospel. And my prayer is that when these times come for someone to be sent, that will be happy that they are all more about following Jesus than following us. And that begins now, by pointing people to Jesus constantly. So... We have John witnessing to his disciples. But next we see Andrew witness to his brother. Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So first, John introduces Andrew to Jesus. And now Andrew, in turn, introduces his brother to Jesus. He goes to Simon. He says, Simon, we have found the Messiah. And I love what the first part of the very next verse says. It says he brought him to Jesus. And friends, that sets up a pattern that flows throughout this book where people say we have found Jesus Come and see Jesus. It's like people who have come to know Christ have stumbled upon an infinite treasure and so they go to the people around them that they love and they say, come and see. Let me show you what I have found. But if we're honest, it often feels like we who have found the Messiah don't always follow it up with, look at what I have found. Sometimes we follow it up with, I don't want to make someone angry with me or I'm not very good at talking to people or I don't proclaim the gospel with my lips. I just show it with my life. Or we do say, look at what we found, but it's about some gadget we bought or some sale that's going on at the store, some incredible opportunity that we found online. We often tell people what we've found unless what we've found is Jesus Some of us who've been given new life and forgiven our sins and united to God as his children have followed it up with laziness. Perhaps spending more time focused on our phones than on our purpose as followers of Christ. Sometimes we just keep to ourselves and we blame it on the fact that, well, you know, we're just introverted, which I totally get. Because if it was up to me, the wall wouldn't hear the gospel. I totally get that. Preaching to myself as well. But one of the first things that Andrew did was find somebody to tell them what he found. Verse 41 says, He first found his own brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Friends, make sure we get this clear, that people who find the Savior find sinners. When we watch a movie that leaves a mark, or we taste delicious food at a restaurant, we can't help but say, look at what I have found. But What about when it comes to knowing Jesus? I mean, do we see more glory in a movie than we do in the Messiah? Do we taste more goodness at lunch than we do in the Lord? It says, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Who or what are we in our lives bringing people to I mean, we're passionate about something. Our life is about something. We are seeking something. But is that something bringing people to Jesus? And friends, this is so important because we often bring people to things that we believe will change their lives. This show, this product, this movie, this diet, this job. But what about bringing people to the one who can save their lives? What about bringing people to the one who can give them life, the one who can give them purpose and meaning, which is exactly what happened to Andrew's brother in verse 42. We read, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you were Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Make sure we get this. Andrew brings Peter to Jesus and Jesus says, you're Simon, you're going to be Cephas. And some commentators have noted that this may have been Andrew's greatest contribution to the kingdom of God. I mean, you tell me what was more impactful, Peter preaching and 2000 people getting saved or Andrew bringing Peter to the one he would one day preach about. Now, I'm not saying that we have Peters under our roof or living next door, but God can use your faithful invitations to Jesus to bring about wonderful fruit in people's lives, even if that fruit is one person in your life being transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. But it begins with bringing people to Jesus. So for those of us who have found the Savior, let's go find sinners. Then we stumble upon the third interaction with Jesus. This time, it's Jesus who goes directly to a man named Philip. So here's verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me, follow me. Amidst all of these examples of human witnesses, we can't forget something extremely important. It is ultimately Jesus who calls us. It is ultimately Jesus who chooses. We do choose him, but it's because he first chose us. As the gospel is later going to say, no one can come to me, Jesus, unless the father who sent me draws him. So when you find Jesus, friends, it's really because he found you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Every Christian in this room is a found person. Every Christian in this room is a chosen person. Chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Found by Jesus Christ, the Savior. You heard the gospel from a human witness, but it was the Lord Jesus internally calling to you, follow me, believe this. This also gives comfort in our witness because yes, we're responsible for faithfulness, but Jesus produces the fruitfulness. You and me are not responsible for how many people actually end up following Jesus, but we are responsible for how many people we call to follow him. So go to people and say, behold the lamb. Let me show you what I have found. Come and see. Let me bring you to him. Follow the Lord and then pray. Jesus, I know that if you call them to follow you, they will follow you. So please do it. So many things that we can learn from these interactions with Jesus that we could really be in this text all week. We have to move on. We see this last interaction. In this last interaction we see in this passage, it's Philip who witnesses to his friend. So John witnessed to his followers. Andrew witnessed to his brother. Jesus witnessed to Philip. And now Philip goes and witnesses to his friend, Nathanael. It begins in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now that's a profound statement. It's probably one of those where John understands more of the significance of it in hindsight than Philip did at the moment he said it. But what Philip said was that we have found the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. Philip is making the claim that all of the Old Testament is pointing to a specific person and then Philip says, I found that person. Did you know that all the Bible is about Jesus? All the Old Testament's pointing towards the cross. All the New Testament is in light of it. Philip understood this and he believed that Jesus was the center of everything. Now it appears that Nathaniel agreed that there was a pretty significant person prophesied about in the Old Testament who was to appear or else he wouldn't have said what he said in verse 46 which is Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words Philip, the one you're talking about is great and powerful, and Nazareth is this little insignificant town. How could the promised one come from Nazareth? And so Philip does what we saw Andrew do, and he simply says, come and see. Amidst all of Nathaniel's questions and concerns and critiques, Philip thought, if only you could see him, if only you knew him, F.F. F. Bruce said, Nazareth might be all that Nathaniel thought, but there is an exception to prove every rule, and what an exception these young men have found. You know, in today's culture, you have questions. Anything good come out of Nazareth? You have all kinds of questions that we face whenever we go and tell people about Jesus as well. Questions about Christianity and assumptions about the church and concerns about religion well, perhaps instead of just defending against every single one of those accusations, we simply point them to the one they need to know. People's assumptions would be cleared up if they knew Jesus. So give people Jesus. Say to them, come and see the one that everything is about. I mean, something remarkable can happen when we invite people to follow Jesus and something remarkable happened to Nathanael pick it up in verse 47 Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit Jesus miraculously knew who Nathanael was never met him at least face to face like this and Jesus knew his heart Jesus knew his character and this kind of shocks Nathanael if you can imagine so in verse 48 Nathanael said to him how do you know me look at Jesus' response. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, the fig tree was associated oftentimes as a place of study, a place of meditation. So perhaps Nathaniel had a genuine time of meditation on the scripture recently, maybe a special moment of prayer and communion with God. We don't know what took place under this fig tree, and that's okay because The important point is not what Nathanael did, it's what Jesus knew. You and I don't know what happened under that fig tree, and that's just to prove that we're not God. Philip didn't know either, but there was somebody who knew, and it was Jesus. And that's because Jesus is God. And this immediately softens Nathanael's heart. All of a sudden, something good had come out of Nazareth. Verse 49 says, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Friends, do you see the significance of inviting people to behold Jesus? And can you imagine what would have happened if Philip's response to Nathaniel's negative comment had been to go away in discouragement? Nathaniel would have never believed. He would have, Nathaniel's never gonna believe. He's just gonna doubt the whole thing. He doesn't think anything good could come out of Nazareth. But instead, Philip says, Come and see. If only Nathanael would have an encounter with the Lord of the universe. Come and see. So Philip began. Nathanael denied. Philip insists. Nathanael meets Jesus. Jesus changes Nathanael's life forever. Give people Jesus because he's in the business of encountering people. And knowing their hearts and revealing their sin and revealing himself and saving them by his grace. But we must first go to people and say, Come and see. So Nathaniel believes in Jesus. Jesus responds in a rather interesting way in verses 50 through 51. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, Philip, you haven't seen anything yet. You will see angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that's rather strange language. Where does Jesus get that from? Angels ascending, descending on the Son of Man. Well, he actually gets it from Jacob's vision in the Old Testament. Jacob's vision of the ladder in Genesis 28, verse 12, which says this, And he, Jacob, dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the place where that vision took place was named Bethel, which meant the house of God. So in that vision, the angels are ascending and descending on Bethel, the place where you meet God. But here Jesus says they will ascend and descend upon him. Jesus is making a point, and D.A. Carson says it beautifully. Even the old Bethel, the old house of God has been superseded. It is no longer there at Bethel that God reveals himself, but in Jesus. So all of these Old Testament pictures and types and examples ultimately pointed to Jesus, just like Philip said. And now Nathaniel knows truly they have found the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. So what can we take away from all these encounters with Jesus? Perhaps we can just start by asking the question that Jesus asks in verse 38. What are you seeking? Perhaps this morning you're seeking control. You want to be in control of things and control people, control your life, your circumstances. Perhaps you're seeking wealth. And this is wealth. We got to understand, like, what's poor in America is rich in many places in the world. So maybe you're seeking wealth, like a bunch of nice things in your life, and the money to purchase it and to feel secure in it. Perhaps you're seeking comfort, ease of life, being able to get by just by doing the bare minimum of effort. Perhaps you're seeking pleasure, not in God, but in sin, not in the Creator, but in His creation. Maybe you're just seeking to feel good. So coming to church once a week, giving every now and then, just makes you feel good inside. But these four encounters we just read force us to ask two questions. Are we seeking to follow Jesus? And are we seeking to make followers of Jesus? So are you seeking to follow Jesus? Jesus? When Andrew and the other disciples say they want to follow him, Jesus looks at them and says, what are you seeking? Because some people wanted to follow Jesus for power. They thought he was the Messiah who would come and overthrow the Roman government and free the Jews from Gentile control. But Jesus wants to make it clear that's not why I came. So if that's what you're seeking, you might want to turn around. He came to free sinners from their sin. Some people wanted to follow Jesus just for material reasons. I mean, he could feed thousands. And they didn't want Jesus for Jesus. They wanted him for the bread, to make their bellies full. And Jesus is going to be clear with us later on in this book that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him will never hunger. So when Jesus asks, what are you seeking He's getting us to examine if we are truly seeking to be his follower. Jesus is the lamb who takes away sin. He is the Messiah spoken of in the scriptures. He is the fulfillment of Moses and the prophets. The one and only son of God without whom we can never have a relationship with the father. Jesus is the king of kings, holding all authority in heaven and on earth, deserving all praise and obedience. He has the authority to look at Simon and say, you will become Peter. In other words, he has the authority to control and lead and shape your life for his purposes. He has every right to come to you and to me and to say like he did to Philip, two words, follow me. So will you follow him? Not just when things are easy, not just when things look good, but when suffering comes, because you will be asked to share in the sufferings of Christ. Are you willing to follow him when money is low? Because even the Son of Man had no place to rest his head. Are you willing to follow him when people hate you for it? Because if the master was persecuted, so you will be persecuted. Are you willing to follow him when no one else does? Because where else could you go for the words of life? Are you willing to follow him when he commands you to do the things that you don't want to do? Because you know that he knows what is best. Are you seeking to follow Jesus for all he is in all places, in all circumstances, and at all times, no matter the cost? That's what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus. So are you seeking to follow him? And are you seeking to make followers of him? I don't know if you noticed the pattern in the text, but John witnessed to Andrew, who then witnessed to Peter. Jesus witnessed to Philip, who then witnessed to Nathanael. And this sets up a pattern that has continued to this very day. That followers of Jesus make followers of Jesus. Sinners found by the Savior go and find sinners. So are you seeking to make followers of Jesus? King Street Church, the good news of Jesus did not come to John to stay with John. It came to John so that it would go to Andrew. And the good news of Jesus didn't come to Andrew to stay with Andrew. It came to Andrew to go to Peter. And the good news of Jesus didn't come to Philip to stay with Philip. It came to Philip to go to Nathaniel. And the good news of Jesus did not come to you to stay with you. It came to you to go to who? Do you know of a name to put in that blank? I wonder if we're on the same page here as members of this local body that we exist to be followers of Jesus who make other followers of Jesus. That's why we are here. And I don't want to be hard on anybody because I'm preaching to myself just as well. But let's take a look around the room. And what new faces do you see? So, I know we can't cause fruitfulness. Jesus does that. We can't make people followers of Jesus. But if there is a lack of fruit because there's a lack of faithfulness, we need to own it. And we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, are we really seeking to make followers of Jesus Christ? Is that what my life is all about? Am I saying with my life, come look at what I found? Come and see. Maybe the question is are you really convinced that this is the most important thing? Following him, knowing him, and helping others to follow him and know him because he deserves to be followed and worshiped. Is this the most important thing? Is this what we are seeking? Because followers of Jesus make followers of Jesus. Sinners found by the Savior find sinners. King's Tree Church, what are you seeking?